folks, if it's a big deal to you, whatever you're going through in life, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. Your problem may, you know, we may look at your problem or you may look at, at my problem or somebody else and say, oh, that's not really an issue. That's really not a big deal. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and stand and honor the reading of the word of the Lord and, and uh, read this lengthy verse of, uh, of text together. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and start on the odd verses, and if you could, join in in unity in the even verses together. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Who was there? Mother of Jesus. Jesus' mom was there. Verse 2, everyone together. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Okay, so Jesus' mom was there, Mary. Who else? Jesus was there and his disciples to the marriage. Verse 3 says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, saith unto Jesus, they have no wine. Verse 4. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And that sounds a little, little harsh there, Jesus talking to his mom. But next verse, his mother saith unto the servants. His mom doesn't reply to Jesus there. After, after she says it to Jesus and Jesus kind of responds to her, she just by faith turns to the servants and says, whatever he saith unto you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in charge of that wedding. She was the administrator of that wedding, and the servants were actually, you know, at her beckoning call. She turns then to the servants and says, don't listen to me right now, listen to him. Whatever he says to do, do it. Next verse, everybody. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. How many water pots? Six. Six. There were six water pots there. Okay. Next verse. Jesus saith unto them, to who? The servants. Them is the servants there. Fill the water pots. How many water pots were there again? Six. Fill these six water pots with water. And they filled them up how full? To the brim. All the way to the top. Verse 8, everybody. Did they do what Jesus told them to do? They did. Next verse. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Stay right there for a moment. Okay. Did the, did the governor of the feast know what had taken place? He didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue. Who knew? The servants. The, ser the difference makers knew. The difference makers are the ones that knew there. The, the servants which drew knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Last verse, everybody together. But you saved the best for last. You saved the best.
for last. Folks, we're living in the end time. We're living in the last days, and God is saving the best for last. Don't think that this thing's just going to crumble down and nothing good's going to take place out of it and, and you're going to go through tribulation and all destruction and hell's going to happen after that. Folks, Jesus is taking his church out of here. Okay? Revival takes place. The church is gone. Then destruction comes. Somebody say hallelujah. He's saving the best for last. He is a miracle working God. And he can work a miracle in your life today. Whatever you have need of, God can and will supply. I'll talk to you just for a little bit here this morning on the miracle worker. God bless you. You may be seated. You read so beautifully this morning. Thank you for your help. Verse 11, the very next scripture says, The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. This beginning of miracles. This was the first recorded miracle of Jesus in the New Testament. This is the first recorded miracle. This, this happening right here. And this beginning, verse 11 says, of miracles did Jesus. Jesus never finished. He never stopped doing miracles. He can still do miracles in your life. The NIV in verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples uh, believed in him. No one could do the miracles that Jesus did. Uh, nobody could. Even Nicodemus in chapter number 3 recognized this in chapter 3 of John when he comes to Jesus by night and begins a conversation with him there. He says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do the things that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 2 says that. This is one of my favorite dialogues with Jesus. Nicodemus here, a religious individual that realizes that Jesus, uh, you know, God working through him, didn't realize probably the fact that, 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 that he was God, but knew that he had come from God. And, and here he mentions miracles. And to point this out in chronologically in the Gospel of John, there has only been one recorded miracle that is recorded in John before this, uh, before this dialogue. And then the General, in verse number 23, many believed in his name and they saw the miracles which he, Jesus, did. So it's obvious by the very statement that all the works of Jesus were not recorded. It's even stated in the book of John. John records at the end of his gospel that if all the things that he did, that Jesus did, were recorded, the entire world would not be able to contain the books that would be written you couldn't even stack the books up there's no way to even contain all the books that if everything that Jesus did was recorded if your mind if our finite mind can grasp that you don't realize everything that Jesus is doing even right now even in this moment even in your life he is at work right now he's at work 
There's 34 distinct miracles that are recorded in the four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, while countless more unrecorded. And I want to say right now that, that the very, very best, the, the absolute greatest miracle is to follow Jesus. It's, it, it don't seek miracles. You, you, you follow Jesus. And, and if you follow him long enough and far enough, uh, you're going to see miracles. Uh, you'll find yourself in the middle of everyone. Everybody wants to be in a miracle. You want to experience a miracle, but you don't want to be in a case uh, that requires uh, a miracle. And what I was getting ready to say a while ago, the, the very best miracle that can happen in take place in your life is the miracle of salvation. Somebody say amen. That can take place at any time. If you're here without the Lord, God can save you here this morning. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. You can't have one without another, a situation that is requiring a miracle. We don't want to be in those situations, a situation that, that I, I can't make it except uh, God move. I can't make it unless uh, I receive. Uh, everybody wants a miracle, wants to experience, wants to see, but you don't want to be in a situation that requires one. So if you believe like me that Jesus can make a way out of no way, your problem may just be a perfect opportunity for God to reveal his his glory, like says in that last verse I read. After all, he, God, can make a way out of no way. And he can make your impossible situation possible. The first century Pharisees were so focused on the Sabbath law, so focused on, on, on the rituals that they couldn't see the miracles happening right before their eyes. They missed the miracles. They missed Jesus, the Messiah, God manifested in the flesh because they were blinded by their legalism. They couldn't see past their religious assumptions. Listen, folks, uh, God has wired us in such a way that, that, that we're hypersensitive to new stimuli. We want to we see something exciting. We want to see something new. But over time, the cataracts of, of the customary cloud our vision. So folks never, never become so ritualistic or so commonplace to, to the things of God that when God's spirit begins to move and God's spirit begins to touch like it did just a moment ago that you kind of just sit back and yawn and look at your look at your watch no it's times like that uh, that you lead need to just open up your heart and and close yourself in with the Lord and let him sweep over you afresh and let him renew your spirit don't allow it to become so commonplace that it clouds our vision I've mentioned before Thomas Jefferson inventing his own version of the Bible it's called the Jefferson Bible Jefferson created an unabridged an abridged Bible by removing the miracles he removed the miracles out of his uh, his edition he found had a profound appreciation for the teachings of Jesus he liked them he he enjoyed them but being a child of enlightenment he enthroned reason and made logic lord uh, logic lord over the lord of glory so in February 1804 he went to work with a razor and he clipped his favorite passages out and he pasted them in double columns. He included Jesus' teachings, but he excluded Jesus' miracles. He included his teachings, but he withdrew all of the miracles. He deleted the virgin birth. 
Now, folks, uh, you know, we read from the NIV, we read from other, other translations of the Bible, but, but the, there are some things that change the meaning. We use those other versions because it makes it easier to explain, easier to understand. But if it begins changing the meaning of what the Bible is, then, then we need to go back to older versions and make sure because Jesus was born of a virgin. That is an important, important fact of what Jesus Christ is and who he is. So if you're reading through and, and it just says that, 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 that a young woman, Mary, birthed him. No, folks, she was a virgin. She had never known a man. Specific there. It's an important thing and cannot be left out. But Jefferson did that. He deleted the virgin birth. He deleted the resurrection and every supernatural event in between, every miracle, everything that he could not understand, he just simply took it out. Jefferson's version of the Gospels ends, listen to me, folks, it ends with the stone rolled in front of the tomb. Why? He couldn't logically reason himself to understand that Jesus would raise from the dead. Therefore, he cut it out, and he left the stone rolled there in front of the tomb in his rendering Jesus died on the cross but never rose from the dead God created man in his own image and now we cannot with logic and reasoning intellectual idolatry create God in our own image no we are created in God's image we don't change God to somehow try to try to fit him into what we can understand or what we can logically reason out God is God somebody say hallelujah when you subtract the miracles like Thomas Jefferson did, you're left with a very wise and yet weak Jesus. And I'm afraid this is the Jesus that many people follow. This is the Jesus that many people believe in. I'm afraid he might be kind, he might be compassionate, but the raw power is missing. The action of him working is missing. So they follow his teachings but never experience his miracles, never experience his power. Only God can miraculously heal Naaman's leprosy. Naaman in the Old Testament, the Syrian. But he would have forfeited the miracle if he had positioned himself for, for, for it by repeated obedience. Naaman had to follow and obey the commands that were given of him, of the prophet, in order to experience healing in his body. So while some miracles take only a step, a single step of faith, others require multiple attempts. Others require consistent obedience. Consistent one step in front of the other, following, believing, trusting in God. Sometimes you've got to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. You got to do what you can before God steps in and does what you can. You've got to step into the Jordan before the waters will part before you. You've got to get your feet wet, so to speak. Miracles by definition are a violation of the natural law. 
like a trial lawyer, we instinctively object to any such violation because miracles simply are not logical. We can't explain them. We can't reason them out. And because miracles aren't logical, our natural tendency is to explain away what we simply cannot explain. Skepticism is a predisposition towards disbelief that is prejudiced by past experiences. Skepticism comes in because of what we have experienced in the past. Skeptics throw away the meat with the bones because they can't filter out what is false. They they can't just take the meat off and throw away the bones. They throw away the meat with the bones. That's what skeptics do. The Bible, folks, is our filter. If something doesn't pass the filter, spit it out. If something doesn't agree with the Word of God, cast it off. But don't let the existence of what is false keep you from believing what is true. There's false everywhere. There's false all around. But don't allow that to keep you from believing what is true. God can do again what he's done before. If he's done it before, he can do it again. Somebody put your hands together. <laughs> Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's healed before, he can heal again. If he's saved before, he can save again. If he's filled before, he can fill again. He has not changed. And if skepticism wasn't a big enough battle to fight, there's also dormant disappointment. Dormant disappointment. Maybe you prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen. Let me see your hands if you ever prayed for something that never happened. Don't know why. Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe we weren't praying after the will of God. Maybe God knows better than us what what needed to happen and what should happen. It doesn't change our faith. But yet, inside our minds, there's there's this dormant disappointment. We don't have an answer to the question why. But it's a mistake to allow a single disappointment to make you throw the miracle towel altogether. Throw it out. We often pull in the reins of faith because we don't, we don't want to feel the sting of disappointment again. We don't want to try. We don't want to make the statement and then it not happen. In 1911, a Swiss psychologist named Edouard Clapardet was treating a 47-year-old with no short-term memory. Anybody, anybody have any difficulty with short-term memory? <laughs> There's a few. You don't have to raise your hand. What was I saying? No. 47-year-old with no short-term memory. At the beginning of every appointment, he'd stick out his hand and he'd shake her hand. She'd shake his hand back and then they'd, they'd experience the appointment. One day, Caparte decided to perform an experiment on this lady that had no short-term memory. He had a pen concealed concealed in his hand and when they shook hands now this sounds cruel but when they shook hands he would stick her with that pin she quickly withdrew her hand in pain but lacking short-term memory she later forgot and had no memory of the pin prick she didn't remember that but from that moment on she would not shake hands with Caparte. 
She wasn't sure why she wouldn't do it. She just would not do it. She, he'd stick his hand out and she would not offer her hand in return. The residual, the, the residue of pain kept her from reaching her hand out to him. Now listen, folks, think, think of disappointment in your life. Think of, think of things that didn't go your way or didn't happen the way you, you'd wanted them to happen. A, a, a disappointment of the faith variety. Many of us stop reaching our hand out to God. We, we pull back. We, we can't identify why. We, we don't completely trust God. We don't completely hand it all over to him. But our dormant disappointment keeps us from reaching out in faith, it didn't happen. So, so somehow we've got this dormant disappointment in that will keep us from reaching out in faith. Folks, belief is key here. We've got to believe. We've got to believe. Jesus told the man that brought his son to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. The man said to him, I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Let me go on record again. As I said a moment ago, the single greatest miracle you'll ever experience in your life is the miracle of salvation through Jesus' death on the cross, through his burial in a tomb, and his resurrection on the third day. Salvation is made available to whosoever will. Let him come. Forgiveness of sins, the infilling of God's spirit, that miracle is still available to anyone at any time. The miracle of salvation isn't the finish line, though. It is the starting line. It is our starting block. It is the new birth. It's the new birth. It's born again of the water and of the Spirit. So let's look Look again at John chapter 2 that, that we read just a moment ago. This first uh, recorded miracle that Jesus, uh, the miracle worker, performed uh, on the third day. The scripture said of that wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother, uh, Jesus and the disciples uh, all present uh, there at that wedding. And when the wine was gone, uh, Jesus' mother says uh, to Jesus, uh, they have no wine. Jesus says, woman, what have I to do? with thee. Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother turns to the servants. She doesn't, she doesn't reply to Jesus. She turns in faith to the servants and says, whatever he says to do, do it. Whatever he says to do, do it. Now, that's a, a message in itself. If folks would just do what Jesus says to do, a lot of problems and a lot of situations in life would most likely dissolve. Whatever he says to do, do it. What Mary was doing was the same as what John the Baptist was doing. She was relegating the high seat to Jesus. She was taking the low seat. John the Baptist says, He that cometh after me is greater than I. The shoes, I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. What was he doing? He was taking the low seat and enthroning Jesus in the high seat. Mary did the same thing. She said, You know what? I can't run this thing when we run out of resources. But I know a God that can. I can't do this in the natural, but I know a God that can step on the scene and make all things possible. 
I know a God that can help you, prodigal, when you get get tired of the hog pen and get tired of the life that you're living I know a Jesus that can come running to you all you have to do is take yourself off the high seat and let Jesus in the driver's seat and he he will take control but he will not do it until you relinquish control he will not beat the door down he will not force control into your life you have to willingly yield you have to willingly let go you have to willingly give it up to him nobody ever receives uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, by holding on to their own will you have to open up the door you have to yield yourself to him you're the one that has to let go and allow him to come in when you open up that door he'll come in and he'll take over but not until you open up that door as long as you want control as long as you want to hold on as long as you want to be the one then he's still standing on the outside you've got to relinquish control you've got to surrender to him as long as you're holding on to the reins you're holding on to the reins but when you release those reins he'll take over and be lord of all somebody give the lord a hand clap Wedding days, wedding days are one day where you want everything to be right. You want everything to be perfect. You don't want things out of order. You want it to be right. The first miracle that Jesus performs isn't about saving a life. Listen to me, folks. It wasn't about, wasn't about healing a sick individual that was on the, on the point of death. It wasn't about, wasn't about calming a storm. And, and so it, it wasn't any of that. The first miracle was about helping someone pretty much not to be embarrassed. And it reveals how much God cares about even the minute details of our lives. God is great not just because nothing is, is too big for him. But, but God is great also because nothing really is too small for him. Nothing is too small. God is great. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. You're his child. If the child's upset, the parent wants to, wants to soothe them. The parent wants to get them right, get their minds right, get them in the right focus, get them in the right direction. That's the, that's the duty and the job of a parent. It's natural. And God cares about, about the big things in your life, but he also cares about, about the small things in your life. Yes, he wants you to be right. He wants you to be right with him. Like most miraculous opportunities, this situation came disguised as a problem. Water. What's the chemical format for water? What's H2O. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. The most basic, basic chemical compound on earth. It's also one of the most vital H2O covers 71% of the planet, composes 65% of your body. Most of us wouldn't make it more than three days without it. But we often take water for granted. It's flavorless, but nothing tastes better on a hot summer day. Listen, with God, there is no easier, difficult, bigger, small, possible or impossible to an omnipotent God there are no degrees of difficulty anything somebody say anything 
Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. It's not in loud, long, flowery, poetic King James words or oratorical cadence. God hears our heart more than our words. Or he responds to faith. He responds to our faith, not necessarily our vocabulary. When Mary brought the need to Jesus, listen to what she didn't do. She did not tell Jesus what to do or how to do it. She didn't do that. She simply identified the problem and got Jesus involved. She identified what was wrong and she got Jesus involved. Miracles don't depend upon your ability to articulate the solution to God. You don't need to know what to say. You need to know what to do and where to turn. You need to know where to turn. You don't need to know what to do or what to say. You need to know who to go to and who to turn to and who to tell what what is going on. And if you turn to Jesus, He can turn your situation right side up and right side out. Of course, you don't need to wait until you need a miracle. If you seek him first, he won't be your last resort. If you seek him first, he won't be your last resort. So here we have, how many water pots were there again? Six, six water pots after the number of purification for the Jews. Six, that's the number of man. They had two or three farrakens in them apiece, the King James says. Other translations say that they held 20 to 30 gallons. One commentator says that they had some water in them already. Possibly two to three farrakens because they were being used, but they weren't quite full. And that's the way a lot of people's lives are before Jesus comes on the scene. There's a lot of people that's living in the guilt of yesterday and in the fear of tomorrow. And your water pot isn't full. But he said, if you're going to be used, if you're going to be changed, you've got to fill them to the brim. You've got to be full. There is something, folks, that you can fill up with that'll never hurt you. You can't fill up with the word and it not hurt you. You can't fill up with drugs and it not hurt you. You can't fill up with alcohol and it not hurt you. But you can get full of Jesus Christ and it will never hurt you. That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. So those six water pots were used for, for washing feet. That's, that's what they were there for. That's what they were used for, sandaled feet, walking on dusty, dusty roads. And, and when the people came from miles away to the wedding, they were met at the door and washed and washed. And the dust and the dirt was, was washed from their feet there. He said, fill them up, fill them up to the brim. He doesn't say, uh, he, does, he says, it, it doesn't matter how, how full you your failures are. He, he says, fill this up to the brim. I, I know you've got failures in your life. I, I know there's some dirt in those things. It doesn't matter how full your failures are. It, it doesn't matter how full your disappointment of yesterdays are. You just fill it up and get it into the presence of God. 
fill it up and get it into the presence of God. He says, I can take your failure and I can make it a success. I can take your yesterday and I can make it something useful for today. Isn't it amazing? Uh, it had this down and out, uh, this foot washing uh, uh, material. We've got some dirty yesterdays. Uh, and folks, everybody does. Uh, everybody has some laundry that you wouldn't want to hang out uh, for everybody to see. Uh, but when you bring it to Jesus Christ, uh, he can take your failures. Uh, he can take your disappointments. Uh, he can take your yesterday nothings uh, and turn it into something that is the greatest thing you've ever tasted in your whole life he said draw it out and give it to the governor usually most people you give the best at the first and then when everybody has has well drunk and they're full they they get what was watered down and and the watered down version but somebody here has saved the best until now he saved the very best until last folks I said it a moment ago the church is not going to limp into the last days it's not just going to struggle through and try to get to the last days walk through life leaning against a a, a staff it's not going to be that way the church is going to be strong the church is going to be vibrant the church is going to have revival even until Jesus comes he's coming back for a church that was without spot and without wrinkle it's not limping and getting old and anemic no it's without spot and wrinkle it's not barely getting by scared and and shut in that's not the way it is it's vibrant it's alive it's a life-giving church until the very last day We don't want to get further and further away from God. We want to get closer and closer to God. I know I can't come in without him. I can't go in, go out without him. I can't rise up without him. I can't sit down without him. I've got to have the Lord. Moses said, I can't go another step without you, God. If you're not going, I'm not going can't work without you. I can't go without you. I've got to have you, Jesus. Got to have you, Jesus. God doesn't need much to work with. In fact, he can make something out of nothing. He can speak into nothing and create. He's that kind of a God. And by starting with water here, Jesus demonstrates his ability to take the simplest thing on earth. And turn it into exactly what was needed at the time. If God can do that with water, what can he do with you? If he can do that with two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, what can he do with you? Maybe that's why he begins this first recorded miracle with water. To show what he can do with next to nothing. The God who spoke every atom into existence is the one who can mutate any molecule. That includes blood cells. That includes brain cells. That includes cancer cells. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Immeasurably more. He can transform your life. God created atoms and God controls them. He can heal them. He can multiply them or he can curse them. 
He can restore a withered ham or wither a barren fig tree. It's his call. It's his creation. When Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the law of entropy was introduced into the equation of creation. Metal rust, food rots, muscles entropy, cells mutate, stars collapse, and people die. But there is no atom in your body or in the universe that is not subject to God's overriding authority. Whatever God wants to do, he can do. Whatever he says is true, and he can do the impossible. Come on, why don't we all put our hands together? When you fixate on your sin, instead of forgiveness... It's easy to forget that you are the apple of his eye. It's easy to forget that he's a loving father that wants good things for his children. We must think at times that that we are in fact lower than the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. But the fact of the matter is we are made just a little bit lower than the angels. He loves us. He, 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 He wants good things for us. The first miracle overshadows the Last Supper and the day of Pentecost. Listen to me. That first miracle that Jesus performed. It overshadows the Last Supper as well as the day of Pentecost. At the wedding of Cana, here in John 2, Jesus turns the water into wine. Folks, at the Last Supper, Jesus was with his disciples. He raised the cup, the fruit of the vine, and he said, This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus turned an ordinary cup full into a bottomless supply of grace. A bottomless supply of mercy. He transformed the fruit of the vine into an agent of forgiveness of sins. Past, present, and future. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission that was the Jewish sacrificial system in John chapter 2 that that first miracle that the miracle worker did the the six wash pots were symbols of past six the number of man six the symbol of what has done it says they they were for ceremonial law they were for ceremonial washing or, or cleansing folks man cannot cleanse you There's nothing a man can do to to forgive your past. There's nothing an individual can do to forgive sins. Man cannot do that. But to reverse the curse of sin once and for all was needed a sinless sacrifice. So God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God of God that was through Jesus so here we are here we are today nothing too great nothing too small for our great God 
you need healing in your life, if you need forgiveness in your life, he's a healer. He'll forgive you. If you have another need in your life, there's nothing that my God can not do. But you have to do the natural. You have to do what's in your power to do. You have to put him first. You have to submit your life. You have to surrender unto him. Let God step in and do what he and only he can do. So what I want us to do right now is stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. And I want us to step out from where we are. I want us to gather gather around the front for just a moment here. We're getting ready to sing. We're getting ready to cast our cares on Him. We're believing God that He's a miracle worker. And whatever you have, whatever you need, they ran out. They ran out of their supply. They ran out of their resources. Man doesn't have what it takes without God to get it done. We can't get it done by ourselves. Six pots, the water. The pots were wash pots used for ceremonial cleansing. Man can't wash you like God's mercy and God's grace can sweep over you and wash you they filled them to the rim those pots because when transformation happens you may have run out now but when God comes in he'll fill you he'll fill you to the very top with exactly whatever it is that you need can we lift our hands all across this place right now begin to call upon him begin to seek him we believe God there's nothing impossible to him that believeth. We need a move of your spirit. We need a move of your touch. God, your hand to come down and bless. Oh, God, we need you. We can't get it done without you. We've got to have you, Lord. We've got to have you at work. I can't rise up or sit down without you. Can't come in or go out without you. I need you, God. Let the miracle worker come down and step into your life this morning. He'll do whatever it is you need. He'll do whatever it is you need. He don't have to work with much water. He can take water and give whatever they needed that day. He can take whatever it is in your life and make all things new. Come on, some need a transformation in this house. Some need a touch from heaven right now. Come and do what you do, Lord. Come and do. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. Yes, yes, yes.